first I get this whole kind of elaborate visual and story construction, a bit of Dress to Kill, a little bit of Rear Window, a bit of Vertigo. The story tells about playing Sardine and being behind the icebox. A lot of the stuff in the movie comes from obviously stuff I've lived. I mean, I've played sardines with my brothers and I did get caught behind the icebox. I was in acting classes where you would see people break down on stage as the acting teacher tried to unlock their emotions. The way you people make movies, which you start with characters and build outward, I start with construction and then fill it in. I'm driven by unrealistic ideas. You have to get the actors to ground it and try to make it seem real. So you got to get the audience grounded with the actor. Those are words from the king himself, Brian De Palma, on his 1984 film, Body Double. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer, and each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. Today we're talking body double, so a quick synopsis of the film is, a young actor's obsession with spying on a beautiful woman who lives nearby leads to a baffling series of events with drastic consequences. Tagline is, do you like to watch? The film stars Craig Wasson as Jake Scully, Melanie Griffith as Holly Body, Greg Henry as Sam, and Deborah Shelton as Gloria. It's written by Brian De Palma and Robert J. Abrick. Cinematography by Stephen H. Burham. Edited by Gerald B. Greenberg and Bill Pankow. And music by Pino Donaggio. So today my guest is Greg Kleinschmidt. You might recognize him from my Billy Wilder series and we talked about the last weekend. Thanks so much for coming back on, Greg. I really appreciate it. Felicia, thank you so much for having me back. I'm glad I didn't drop the ball on the last weekend. It's been a good one. And I am very excited to talk about Brian De Palma with you. For the listeners, I highly recommend you go and listen to The Lost Weekend. I know it's not a film of Wilders that's as widely watched, but I recommend people seek it out or rewatch it just to refresh their mind and listen to the episode. And you can learn more about Greg there. But what I will do is ask if you want to recommend to the listeners and I two to three films you've watched in the past few months that you think that should be on our radar and we should look out for it. Well, it's so funny um, that you ask because right before you did your episode on Trouble Every Day, I had just seen it for the first time and I just heard about it like a month before that. And so it's amazing mm-hmm. timing that you did an episode on it. That movie was wild. Yeah. That movie was wild. That was definitely one that stuck out to me. Another one, this one's a little embarrassing that I just now saw it, but I just saw it in the heat of in the heat of the night like a couple weeks ago. Okay. And yeah, dear God, what an incredible movie. I was Mm-hmm. One of those movies where you're just like, why did I put this off for so long? You know, kind of fell through the cracks for me, but glad I caught up with it now. Incredible movie. And then I guess the last one, because it was the most uh, cumbersome, I guess that's going to mm-hmm. be. But Satan Tango, because we just did it for, for mm-hmm. Seen and Heard. And that was one where I'd kind of been putting it off for a few years because it's a seven and a half hour movie. And I was like, OK, well, yeah, I'll see that sometime. And then I just like anyway, the, it was great to have to be forced to do it for the show. But yeah, it was. Wait, have you seen it? No. And it's it's one of those, as you said, it's like, okay, I will eventually get around to it type of deal. And I've had two friends who've done separate episodes on it, but I try and keep up with Seen and Herds. So whatever you guys have done that I haven't seen, I try and watch. I'm like, okay, I need to actually set aside time for this movie, though. <laughs> it's not just like a, you know, sneak in in the morning type of deal. It's like, okay, this is like a, it's a feat. But I've, I've only ever heard good things about it. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, yeah, surprise, surprise. It was incredible. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is why people talk about it, because it's great. Because um, you, know, <laughs> you never know, like, I was kind of like, oh, is this movie just famous for being seven and a half hours long? Or is it like actually a great film? But I would think that you would watch a movie like that for like breakfast, and then you'd, you'd move on the rest of the day, and you'd watch like two more movies. Like, that seems like your MO. Um, it depends on now we're that we're shifting into autumn and winter. That's definitely going to be my, you know, a three to four movie a day type of deal. I find like... <laughs> Which is like such a weird and sad thing to say. But (laughs) (laughs) like I live in Canada. That's my excuse. Like it gets cold and you don't want to go outside. And I'm always so bad with the conversion. But like in Celsius, it would be like minus 30, minus 20 weather. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to sit inside and watch movies because I physically can't go out. It's a great excuse. That's why I love bad weather. Any movie watcher. Yeah. Like (laughs) just praise for bad weather. You're like, cool. Now I don't feel guilty about sitting inside. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly that. Except I do it in the summer too. I mean, we all do. 
<laughs> well, those are all good recommendations. I haven't seen In the Heat in the Night in a very long time. That's one I've been wanting to rewatch. Sydney's yeah. great. He's so good. And just, I don't know, I think I wrote it off for a long time as like a, just one of those kind of Oscar y type movies of a certain mm-hmm. era that was going to be kind of bland or whatever. But I was surprised that the, the filmmaking was so potent. And it's Norman Jewison who did the film adaptation of um, Fiddler on the Roof, which I love. So I should have known it was going to be great. But yeah. <laughs> Actually, before we shift into talking about Body Double, do you kind of remember the first time you saw it and what your reaction to it was? Yeah, I first saw Body Double. I think it was it was just pre-COVID. It wasn't very long ago. I think it was probably mm-hmm. like 2019 or something. I saw it because there's this great British Blu-ray label indicator. I think you know them, right? Mm-hmm. You have some of their stuff? Oh, yeah. So I was like going through their stuff because they have sales all the time and, you know, stuff mm-hmm. is pretty cheap. And I'm a big De Palma fan. And I hadn't heard much about Body Double. and But I saw that they had a De Palma and I was like, add to cart. So yeah, <laughs> um, I first saw it. Yeah, like 2019. And I just kind of threw it on not really knowing what I was getting into. And that's all I'll say for now. I kind of saw it later on. Also, it would have been one of the later De Palmas that I had seen for some reason. And I don't know why. But I finally was like, okay, it's time to sit down and watch. I think I'd watch Body Heat. And then I watched Body Double. I don't know why in my mind, I just kind of associated them. I was just like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) It just blew my mind, which we will get into. I'll read a few fun facts about it. The first one is De Palma originally planned for this to be the first Hollywood film to boast unsimulated sex scenes, but the studio was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. (laughs) So (laughs) they put their foot down. He also shot the porn scenes in this film himself. So that's his way of getting around that. Another one that I found funny, and I don't know that I fully remember this, but the book, uh, American Psycho, Patrick Bateman, this is one of his favorite movies, and he rented it over 37 times. (laughs) So (laughs) I've actually read that book and seen that movie, but I had zero recollection of him saying that. But it also makes sense. De Palma got the idea to direct Body Double after working with the Body Double for Angie Dickinson, uh, Shower Scene, and Dress to Kill. I find with the films that I've been doing of his, uh, there's always like a link where he's like, oh, I got this idea from this movie and that so on. But there's always just like he does something on set where he's like, oh, this will make a great movie. And in my opinion, it does. Another one is that Columbia had given him a three-picture deal after the success of Scarface. But because this movie bombed, they canceled the other two movies after afterwards. <laughs> That's so unfortunate. Sad. I know. Yeah. But I mean, he obviously went on to, again, in my opinion, make a lot of great work. But it's funny because even Blowout was a huge box office bomb. And now it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Ahead of its time. Yeah, that, I guess the last quick fun fact is that the set for the Frankie Goes to Hollywood sequence was also used in the Fright Night as nightclub oh, scene. I've never seen club. Fright Night. Okay, you would like it. It's really fun. Yeah, it's great. It's been a. I know that they also did a remake. Wasn't that with like Colin Farrell or something? Yeah, I didn't see that one. No, but the original <laughs> one with uh, with Chris Sarandon is pretty. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good time. It's a good time. And my sister is obsessed <laughs> she thinks that chris sarandon is so steamy in that movie oh yeah oh uh, it's a good time yeah okay. it's worth it. i'm gonna have to add it to my list then well if you're ready i'm ready to talk about body devil let's do it this is essentially a movie about movie making and all the people involved in movie making and he's using the tools such as the facade of creating a film being on set actors and struggling actors you've got jake scully who's our antagonist who we're following he's a struggling actor he's in need of a home he's in need of a steady job he gets the opportunity to house sit and the story follows from there but it starts off with a movie within a movie which is vampires kisses which he's filming and that's where we discover that he is claustrophobic it's important right off the bat to start off with that because i'm not sure how you would introduce his claustrophobia without it being like we're going to start off with him as a kid and go from there with like a flashback so how do you feel about the introduction of him filming the film and breaking that kind of wall and then we get into his story i think 
It is such a striking opening. And that was the first thing when I first saw this movie and you had that opening scene and it's a cemetery, it's that set. And of course, like the font is this like horror movie mm-hmm. font, but the horror movie font is like bleeding away to like a regular white font. And it has this great feel to it. The way the camera tracks over the cemetery and comes down and you see him in the coffin and then he turns towards the camera and he's showing his fangs and then mm-hmm. he just holds it. He freezes and you see tears run down his face immediately when I saw that. I was like, what is this movie? Like, what a way to start a movie. And I think you're right. Like a lesser filmmaker would have just done like a flashback or something, or he would have said in some exposition Mm -hmm. to like the Greg Henry character, like, oh yeah, I'm claustrophobic. But like, what a striking way to do it. Like De Palma is such an image guy. He's such a like visual storyteller. And I think it's like perfect. It's the perfect way to start this movie. I agree. I mean, he's always been very honest about the fact that he's more about the visuals. The script is always second. And he writes like basically all of his stuff. He wrote this himself, which is not a thing that you see as often anymore. Or even at the time, you weren't getting writer directors as often, especially ones that are like outlandish like this. And this is very much a visual film because you have to pay attention to what's happening. And it's lying to you in a sort of way and like deception because it's kind of mirroring what actors do if you want to go that route of just they're playing a character so we get a lot of instances of them being on set so we've got the first one of vampire's kiss and then later on we'll talk about when jake and holly meet as well we want to talk about the deception and the doubling of this film we've got a lot of people pretending to be other people so Jake is usually just himself up until a certain point, but we've got Sam he's introduced to, who is a struggling actor as well. He hears that Jake needs a place to stay. He says, hey, I need to be out of town. For an acting gig, do you want to house sit for me? Or for the house pl- I'm house sitting for? And he sets it up, everything for him. He's like, you got to water these plants after six every day. Oh, there's also this show that this woman puts on, essentially. Clockwork every time. I don't know, maybe I just was so like enthralled <laughs> in the film when I was watching it that I was just like, oh, this guy is just like, he's a really good guy. He's just setting him up, a little pervy, but I just didn't, I didn't question him at all after that first scene. So how do you feel about Sam's introduction? Did you kind of feel something about him or did you kind of just were going with it with Jake? No, I was just going with it. I think Greg Henry is such an unsung character actor. Mm -hmm. I always love seeing him pop up and stuff. And he has such a great look for this part of like the Hollywood actor that's kind of kicking around that books things from time to time, who's house sitting at this like really cool house in the hills and stuff honestly yeah i mean it's always in these kinds of movies it's always like the last person you expect right and i think he is like the least unassuming like he just yeah he just seems like a good guy and i was when the first time i saw this i was not expecting him no when you do find out and you watch it again you're like okay i can see his face But like, there's no way of knowing. You can see his face. No, I just, that's what makes De Palma's film so rewatchable that even when there's like a huge twist, you can still go back and rewatch it and it doesn't feel like it's ruined for you. Because sometimes you'll watch a film where you're like, okay, there's no point in me really watching this again. There's so much going on in his films. And what I love about his films, we've got Split Screen, The Split Die After, but we also just the way he frames and his work with the cinematographer framing scenes. I always find there's so much happening in the background that's so important to watch, but he's never like, okay, I got to zoom into this. It's like, I'm going to trust you enough to look at what's happening. And you might not see it on the first watch. You might not see it on the second. Hopefully you see it on the third. But there's just so much going on. So how do you feel about just kind of his use of the space on the screen and just trusting the audience to figure it out on their own? I think he's a master of that. De Palma said, I think it's so many ways De Palma is like the Jeff Lynn of filmmaking, of film directors. Jeff Lynn from ELO because ELO his whole thing was like I'm going to continue with the Beatles started and and just run with that and that was his whole thing and of course like I'm a big ELO fan but like it is very Beatles-esque music but he just takes it further right well mm-hmm. not further in a psychedelic way whatever but that's De Palma's whole thing of it's like he wants to take Hitchcock stuff and take it further because Hitchcock was constricted by censors mm-hmm. and you know the Hayes Code was in place and everything so Hitchcock could only imply things it wasn't until the end of his career when he was doing stuff like Frenzy that he could actually put an R rating on there and show people it, it was you know much mm-hmm. more graphic and stuff but I think De Palma is such 
such an like unmatched master of composition and he has such a way of doing it too it's exactly what you said it's not quite like a tableau but it's like he gives you exactly what you need to see and mm-hmm. the image is like so rich and he does do everything in this movie outside of like his signature split screen but he does do the diopter and he does all of his other De Palma tricks I feel like just not the split screen and I was like if this if this movie did have a split screen sequence it would even be better I mean oh, yeah. it's impossible for this movie to be better but <laughs> I would wouldn't have minded the split screen because yeah. i always anytime he does it in other films i'm always just like yes finally yeah you get excited right <laughs> because you don't see it really like i can't remember the last time i saw that in a film that wasn't kind of like a comedy i guess um but the way he does it is just so smart and i love that he he's one of those directors who some people might find him antagonistic but I don't. I think he's the opposite of that. I think he's someone who knows his audience and he loves them and he knows that they will love his work and he's not doing things for anyone other than his own audience because I can't imagine going to the theater after seeing something like Scarface and being like, oh, what's this? You know, like I would be excited, but I'm sure other people, clearly other people were just like, um, this is a lot. (laughs) What are, you, what are your thoughts on Scarface? I really like it. I know that people don't love it, but I, as a kid, saw it a couple of times on the, like, the double VHS, which is, you know, dating me also. But one day when I was in university, I think it's when they released, it must have been like the anniversary or something, and they had like done a restoration of it. And we skipped class to go see Scarface. <laughs> and we were like, well, we're going to see a film, so it's fine if we're skipping class. And it just blew my mind. I just could not believe how beautiful it looked and from then on i just am a scarface apologist it's not my favorite i wouldn't even say it's in the top five of his maybe but i do like it do you like it yeah i think we're on a similar page i also saw it for the i think it was for the 20th anniversary so it was in 2003 i was in high school it came out in theaters and i had waited to see it and so my first viewing experience was like in a multiplex theater in you know, mm. the small town I grew up in. And yeah, it also blew my mind. So I think in a lot of ways, I'd seen The Untouchables before that, and I'd seen the first Mission Impossible, but it was like the first De Palma movie that I like really loved. But I also agree with you, like, it's great. And I also don't understand why people bash it, but it's also not doesn't quite make my top four or five De Palma because he's just such a strong yeah. filmmaker that, yeah. Yeah. Side note before we get back to Body Double, have you seen uh, Greetings or Hi Mom? Okay, this is so. I have this like Arrow video has a set. It's called De Niro and De Palma, mm-hmm. the early years or something. I have it on my shelf. I'm looking at it right now and it has those movies in it, but I, I haven't watched them yet. I only watched them for the first time this year and like I've been telling everyone about them. They're so good. Maybe prefer Hi Mom a little bit more, which is the second one. But there's both. They just blew my mind. I just was, I kind of put them on being like, you never know with the earlier what it's going to be like. And I think Hi Mom is one that should be talked about and like studied. Yeah, no, I've I've only heard great things about it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, they're good. I do want to get that box set. I got to put that on my, on my holiday wish list. <laughs> nice. With Body Double, you know, we're kind of placed as co-detectives with Jake because we know just as little or as much as he does. It's not like something like Address to Kill where we kind of know a little bit more than the audience does or some of his other films we're kind of given the same amount of information. We're following the characters just as he's following him, the other characters as well. So how do you feel about, you know, us being placed in that situation of we're trying to figure out and the, you know, the the camera lying to us sometimes, the story lying to us sometimes, and the twists and turns. I feel like this just the right amount of twists and turns. The ending we can talk about too, if that's just an turn too much or the right amount that's a good question i think i think it has just enough to twi- I, I always get mad when a movie has too many twists and mm-hmm. turns like it's always about having the right amount and i think this movie does and i don't think it any of the twists or turns uh unseats anything that came before it and i do like because yeah like you said there's two movies it's one where the audience is ahead of the the protagonist and you show them something that they don't know mm-hmm. yet. and then there's a movie like this where you're seeing the movie through his eyes through jake's eyes it's why you earlier you said jake is Everyone's pretending to be someone. I think Jake is pretending to be a normal person and not a <laughs> skeevy sex pervert. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what about you? I I mean, 
sometimes I feel like when I talk about certain movies, it's not fair because I just have no criticisms of this film. I think it's just the right amount. The last twist, I think is great, but I could see why other people would be like, come on, really? And I'm like, but did you watch the whole movie? You would understand why we're going back to this, <laughs> you know? I think if you yeah. actually go along for the ride and accept what's being presented to you, you can accept everything, even that final twist at the end. I totally agree. If you're on board, if you're not, then I guess that sucks, unfortunately. No, I'm completely on the same page. You know, too, just thinking about when we're talking about the Greg Henry character. Mm-hmm. Sorry, now this is like from, from like 10 minutes ago, but... <laughs> The first scene, when when De Palma introduces him, he's the hero of the scene because the acting coach is like breaking Jake down and Mm -hmm. Greg Henry is the one who's like, hey, stop by introducing him as the savior of this scene. You know, he's instantly likable. Yes. And there is a split second in that scene where, I mean, I definitely didn't notice it on first watch, but rewatching when the acting coach is kind of breaking him down. There's like that slow zoom in to Greg Henry's face, which... On first watch, you're on board with him. So you're just like, okay, we're just paying attention to how empathetic he is. Now we realize, oh no, he's already scheming at that point. And again, that's just, I just love the way he does things so that you can just see so so many different things on each watch yeah it's like a double meaning yeah yeah and i he as much as he says that he's not that strong of a writer i really think that he is because you know he does plan all this out it doesn't writing doesn't always you know have to involve words i mean no i'm right there with you and i think it's interesting because pauline kale is was a big de palma fan she was like one of her favorites Mm -hmm. and even she says i saw that you just logged um fam of the paradise on letterboxd i know that she loved she likes the movie but she's like oh in the dialogue scenes it kind of falls apart so even she was like that but i think the whole thing about de palma is he's never ever going for realism i can't think of Mm -hmm. a single de palma movie where i'm like this is supposed to be real life like every de palma movie is a movie like truly and i think just like you said earlier like no other movie is the perfect example of that than body double like this is a movie like literally down to you know every detail and i he's having fun with it well that's been the theme from you know the other guests that i've had on so far for de palma month we're all just saying the man's having fun utilizing the beauty of cinema. He's not going for realism, as you said. But what we have also agreed on is that a lot of people don't like fun, <laughs> especially it's nowadays. true. I don't understand. Do you have a favorite? Body double, hands down. Nice. I've been telling people since I first saw this, I've been telling people the same thing. I'm like, I think that's my favorite. But having just rewatched Carrie in the last like, Mm -hmm. it's probably between the. I think it's between this and Carrie. I think Carrie is so so strong, and Sissy Spacek obviously is just her performance in that is like transcendent, like so good. And Piper Laurie, they're incredible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're they're kind of tied for me. Yeah, have you seen? I think you have seen Obsession. Yes. Oh my god, I love that movie. (laughs) It's so good, and you know what? It's it's like Body Double for me, where. I didn't hear much about it, Mm-mm. so I like didn't see it. And then I was just like scrolling through his filmography, and I was like, "Oh, what's this movie? Obsession?" And it's like, "Wait, sc- scored by Bernard Herman." And like, "What? How did I not hear about this movie?" And I saw it, and also was blown away by that too. And like, "Oh my god!" So yeah, I loved it. It was just hit after hit after hit after hit after. <laughs> In my opinion, yes, that, and I'm sure people are going to be if anyone who listens to all these episodes are probably gonna be like she needs to stop talking about this but i'm just gonna just drive it to the grave here of when we get directors like de palma who is an acclaimed director like a lot of people know his name or at least know his films you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't know carrie scarface mission impossible because i would be like i don't understand where you've been but he's just been kind of thrown under the rug you know in the last couple decades at this point and it'll take for him to pass unfortunately for people to appreciate him and i just wish that people starting today could appreciate him for what he is i totally agree with you he absolutely does not get the attention he deserves and while he's not obscure and like you know like people in the know are in the know but i think a lot of people just associate him with scarface the untouchables Mm -hmm. and mission impossible and it's like he's such 
a more interesting filmmaker than that. And yeah. Like I like I like the untouchables, but like I grew up with it because my parents loved it and would always watch it. And it's perfect. It's a perfectly entertaining movie, but it's like that's not why I loved De Palma. Like, Body Double is why I love De Palma. Blowout, Carrie, like those are the real De Palma movies. Yeah. I agree. Like those movies are obviously well made, but in my mind they don't scream De Palma to me. You know, I want I want shower scenes. And I want bibs. That's what I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> People soaping up and stuff. Yeah. Um, are you a Hitchcock fan? <laughs> yeah, I am. I was going to ask you how you feel about, because that was one of my points. Obviously, he's already said that he is a Hitchcock fan. Whenever you read anything about his movies, people automatically bring up, oh, this is like this Hitchcock movie and so on. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because sometimes I find it can be a little patronizing because everyone's inspired by other people. Hitchcock was not made in a vacuum. He was obviously inspired by other people. I think De Palma does his own thing with the inspiration of Hitchcock, but I don't know how you feel about it. I It's one of those things where I remember the first time I saw Dress to Kill, I was really into the movie until the reveal. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? Without without giving it away here, if people haven't seen it, because I know you have an episode on it. But I, w- I felt cheated because I was like, that's straight out of you know a certain Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. And I remember at first I was like, what? And then I realized later, like, no, he's like deconstructing the Hitchcock movies. He's like taking the Hitchcock movies apart and tearing them and pulling them in different directions and seeing what they can do. And it's a much more interesting thing. So, I mean, you know, he even took Hitchcock's composer Mm -hmm. for, for a few films. And like, but that's what I love about him is he's really forging ahead and kind of playing with what came before him. And so I, no, I, I love it. I, the, the people that think he's just like a Hitchcock imitator, I think it's a really limited view of him. I, I think so, too. I mean, it takes a lot of talent to be able to even be associated with Hitchcock, but also be your own name. As much as there's similarities to Hitchcock, Hitchcock can never make a De Palma film, but De Palma can make a Hitchcock film. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. I'll ba- I'll back you up on that. <laughs> there's a couple scenes I want to talk about specifically. Well, there's three main scenes. I'm going to leave the relaxed one as being the third, because that's a big one. But the first one, there's two like chase scenes, really. The first is in like that shopping center. There's like a cat and mouse game between the three of them. The woman seemingly is unaware that she's being followed by two separate men. And the men are aware of each other and her. And we're on the outside looking in, but we're mainly through Jake's eyes, but sometimes we're outside of and we're seeing either characters. There's a scene I like specifically as, you know, he's creeping on her as she's trying on underwear, which is a thing that you cannot do. You can't just put on underwear <laughs> at the store. Well, only in De Palma land. Yeah, I was like, sir, I'm going to have to call you out on that, that you can't do that. But <laughs> after it switches and we see, we'll say the villain uh, in a little split shot and it switches back. I like that you sometimes just see him in little flashes, just kind of the fear. How do you feel about just that scene in general? Of, there's so much happening. And I feel like sometimes you, there's no way of really capturing everything on first glance. Did you find it, you know, confusing or there was too much happening when you're following and then we get to the B scene, which we'll talk about? No, I loved it because it reminds me I'm he's taking vertigo right he's taking Mm -hmm. jimmy stewart in vertigo trailing kim novak and he's transplanting that into the the outdoor shopping mall in la this movie also has such great la locales Mm -hmm. from like tale of the pup barney's beanery like there's so much the farmer's market the hollywood tower there's so many great stuff in here so he has the shopping center and yeah it's it's literally vertigo it's jimmy stewart following it's you know i think what's so cool about it is he takes a scene that other people would make you know it would be two minutes in another movie and it's like Mm -hmm. eight minutes in a De Palma movie yeah he's he's chewing on the scenery like true that's what he does and he's squeezing everything he can out of it and that's why we love him so much yes no I like it and you're right the the glimpses of Greg Henry dressed up which is a pretty terrifying yes like makeup (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i remember the first time i saw this they were like calling him the indian i'm like oh it's supposed to be like native american makeup. Yeah. like it, it was confusing because it just looked like like a serial killer truck stop like murder <laughs> or something yeah i also was confused and like yeah the makeup is not good but i think it's purposely not good but yeah th- in that that mall scene there is that one flash where they're in the elevator and he gets kind of bunched in and it opens up and he's there and you just i remember being so shocked because that's the first time you kind of see him 
close up. Yeah. And just his face. And he looks like, I don't know if you, well, this is like a nerdy reference, but I used to watch a lot of Power Rangers and like Dr. Ooze. That's what he looks like to me. <laughs> oh, totally Dr. Ooze. Yes. <laughs> and I was just like. Or I- Ivan Ooze, right? Yeah, Ivan Ooze. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is terrifying. And then he has this panic attack. Then we get into the beach scene. And I don't know, do you know the location kind of of where that beach house is? Is that like Venice Beach area or not really? It could be. It could be that. It could be Malibu. Okay. Somewhere along. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. but <laughs> I've never seen at that type of apartment style of just like having those steps and being able to kind of just go on anyone's terrace that they have there. But we see her in the background and, you know, he's watching her. We see Sam, the villain, watching. And then we get into the scene of his full-on panic attack in the the tunnel and how the guy notices what's happening. And that should have been a clue to be like, okay, this guy knows that he led him there. But it's still at that point, you're so unaware. And you just think that, oh, he's using this as... He's he's like, okay, I've gotten away type of deal. But then we get into the kiss scene. So I want to hear your thoughts on that because I absolutely love it. But <laughs> I know it's not yes. for everyone. <laughs> I know I said earlier about I loved this movie with the opening scene and him turning towards the camera and mm-hmm. freezing in the tears. I, I knew I loved it then. But the kissing scene remains like one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. Like yes. there's just nothing that rivals that and i think that scene really tips its hand to like what this movie is mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know because de palma loves to circle the camera around like you have the prom scene in carrie where the camera's going around and around but it's like sweet mm-hmm. and then you have this scene where the camera's going around and around but it's rear projection and it, he almost it's almost like he told them what's the absolute sleaziest like makeout session that you could have right now and it's like he's like popping out a boob and he's like he's like holding her from behind and it's like it's so lustful and trashy and like with the pino dinaggio score i was like the first time i saw this i was like okay i already loved this and now this is like an all-timer the score oh man well let's talk about the score because well first I also love that scene. I'll never forget the first time I watched it. And it was just like, I could not keep the smile off my face. And not like a creepy where I was just like, I have never seen anything like this. And I've seen scenes that go around, you know, 360 scene, but I've never seen anything like that. It just is like, if you don't like that scene, then I don't know how you could like De Palma because that's him to a T. I think that's the definition of De Palma is that scene specifically, but the score, because there's not that much music through this film, that's kind of that main theme that we get that usually involves either Gloria or Holly. And I think it's just so beautiful. It kind of gives me a Twin Peaksy type vibe. Totally. Like that telescope theme. Mm-hmm. It's just great. I am obsessed. Mm-hmm. I play that all the time. Yeah. I love that theme. It's incredible. It's so good. It really is. And it's like all you really need. And I like that we get it more than once in the film because it kind of signals where the story is going. It's kind of like a an aside to what's actually happening, like a fantasy of his. It's just great. Really well done. There's not much music throughout the film because there's so much going on. The, other than now we got relax. Frankie goes to Hollywood and that scene. <laughs> so, yeah. If we track back a bit, Jake has been watching who he thinks is Gloria dancing. Gloria gets murdered. She's done for. The murder scene is great for that. That's one of the first. Well, I think it's the first kind of gory, violent scenes that we get in the film. I love the way he did that. I like that. It's just so it's kind of one of those movies where or one of those scenes she manages to knock him unconscious briefly. And she's calling the cops right in front of him instead of exiting the room. <laughs> she calls the cops while he's still right behind her. He catches her. And then we get the drilling through, which is the floor. And Jake sees it from the ceiling. I think it's just so beautifully done. And before that, too, you have that suspenseful moment where he's it unplugs because he's pulling mm-hmm. the drill too far from the outlet. And it's like some release tension and then it builds back up. Uh, oh, my God. It's so good. It, it's like it's like really grimy, but like in a tasteful way, because just like in, you know, there's that famous scene in Scarface with the chainsaw and the guy in the bathtub. And it's the same thing here. We're like, you don't see anything. You just see a drill coming through the ceiling and mm-hmm. blood just spraying out. But it's like, it's so nasty. Like yeah. in, in the best possible way. It's just so good. 
Oh, yeah. And even with that scene with the unplugging, with another person, it would kind of be like an eye roll scene where you're like, really? This is what's going to happen. The core is not long (laughs) enough. But like, (laughs) he set it up for that to be something that you're on board with and you believe. Even the fact that Jake gets up there and sees him and he's managed to sneak past him and off into the night, you're just like, okay. That makes sense. He's not meant to be caught at this point. Because at this point, if you're watching this not in 1984, you're watching this now, everyone knows Melanie Griffith. You've seen her name at the opening credits. You're like, okay, where is Melanie? Because she hasn't shown up yet. We see her first time in a porn video that he's watching. And (laughs) he's so sweaty while he's watching it too. Like he's sitting on the floor sweating watching this porn video. (laughs) I'm like, this is a lot. (laughs) But He's watching, she shows up and he recognizes the dance because, you know, he's just a regular dude who's memorized the dance that he's seen a couple of times now. He finds out who the porn star is. He's like, okay, cool. I'm going to audition, be in a movie with her because that sounds like that's a thing that he would do, uh, but ties back to the fact he's also an actor. And then we get introduced to Holly Body, which is a name that I'm obsessed with. And then her introduction scene is the Frankie goes to Hollywood relax scene. How do you feel about that scene? Because that that's a standout one. Oh, amazing. It's it's like the kissing scene. Like it happened yeah. the first time I saw it. And I was like, could this movie get any better? And that happens. And you're just like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It, it works so well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild. Like the way that the movie starts to you it has this like dream logic sort of running through it of like, no, don't take that literally. You know, it's like, it's like a lot of things that happen in this movie. I think it's mm-hmm. definitely one of one of the dreamiest De Palma movies, if not the dreamiest in terms of like it's it's not so like literal, but mm-hmm. it's like a fantastic way to show that whole thing of like him entering this underground porn world. Yeah, I agree. And I like that again at this point, I can't really remember how the minute count is at that point, but this is like an hour and 45 type minute and it might be an hour into the movie that this happens and you're already kind of like okay this now seems to be a music video happening and yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's clearly on a set of some sorts but you don't know what it is right he could despite the fact that we see that he's auditioning but it still is like is this a scene that's actually happening or is this his fantasy that's happening and we get the whole scene and we get holly body at that point we still I remember at the first time I was like, okay, he's dreaming until we see the flash that when you get into the bathroom and the door kind of closes and in the mirror, we see the crew. And I love that too. Yes. Of just being like, I don't need to tell you. I don't need there to be a scene that's like cut. Okay. I'm just going to show you that. So you know that we're filming this movie within the movie. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. It reminds me of the, um, the Broadway melody scene from singing in the rain. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) exactly that sometimes i feel like a movie needs just like a quick little music video in between (laughs) i think i think the problem is nowadays and maybe i'm generalizing but audiences are so logical and it's like wait what you know the 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 nolan boys out there are gonna be like well wait how does this uh tie what is this uh people wouldn't actually do this and you're like you don't understand it's a filmmaking it's a storytelling device like Mm -hmm. it's a it's a flourish yeah i also feel like some people forget that they're uh watching a movie <laughs> like yes. you know you can yes. do whatever you want in a movie it doesn't have to make sense it just has to be good exactly which i think yeah. this is yeah you talked about at the very beginning just even the title sequence of there being kind of starts off with blood and turns into the white font and it starts off with a horror film within a film kind of sets up the vibe that it's going to be a straight up sort of horror film and it's not really up until the last sequence really where it becomes a thriller after gloria dies there's still not that much violence until the last sequence really he tells holly what's happening and she witnesses a car crash and gets picked up by sam and then that whole burial scene which there's, there's a lot going on it's like pretty chaotic and because there's so much shifting a perspective in that point you kind of like I'm not really sure what's happening. And then it comes like a becomes like an out of body experience once he's in the grave and it gets mm-hmm. Sam talking to him. How do you feel about how that was handled? Because then it kind of the tone shifts a little bit, I find at that point. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think because at that point, the actual thriller story 
of body double is a little like you've seen this before. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's, I don't think the whole thing at the reservoir with the bearing and stuff like that's, it's not inherently interesting. And I think it's like, it's almost like just when it gets to the point where like, you're kind of done with that climax, then you get the real climax, you get him, you know, envisioning he's on a movie set. And it's like the film stuff comes back into it. So I think that's like a really interesting way to do that. Because I do remember I was the first time I saw this, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And then the end happened. And it kind of just felt like a lot of and then this and then this and then this and you're like, okay, okay, but then you do get that great moment where you see Greg Henry and you almost see like the studio lights over his head mm-hmm. and the way that the camera just goes further and further into the grave, which is not that deep of a grave. It's a, it's a shallowish grave that they're mm. actually digging in. It works for me. I think it's a really nice little touch. I could see how it would piss some people off at the end. How do you, how do you feel about it? Uh, no, I, I feel the exact same way where before we get the switch there, I kind of felt like, okay, he's just trying to wrap things up and, Maybe it wasn't fully thought out. So it just felt a little rushed until we see the flood of light. And I was like, okay, we're getting more. And then he switches back to being on set and he has this moment of redemption and so on. <laughs> and I just think it's great. It's, I know it might be a little over, top, over the top for some people, but I love it. I also love the actual ending credits scene yes, just before the yes. credits where we're on set and he's in full makeup and just seeing what it's like to be an actor on a set. And it seems like he didn't need to add that, but I love that he did. Again, peak De Palma to have a movie credits running while it's just boobs being soaped up, a hand there, and like the <laughs> blood going down. I was like, there's no way to end this movie other than that. Like it had to be that. Totally. And it's sort of like an unglamorous way, too, in the way that they have to pause and Mm -hmm. focus and then the body double comes in and they have to not move. And it's like all very technical in the way that it is when you are making a, you know, a sex scene in in a Mm -hmm. movie. I almost part of me thinks that the whole movie is like a fever dream of his. I know if I read the Wikipedia article and they say like, and then he gets after, you know, the reservoir stuff, it's like, and then he gets rehired on that movie. And like that's the end. I'm like, I don't know that it's like that cut and dry no i don't think so either i can't there's no way he would get rehired on the movie i do think it's just sort of like some fever dream he had from the very beginning you know him being stuck in the grave initially just him having that time to imagine all these things and getting to the point where he gets the courage to push through the casket or so on there's also that flash of scene that we see of holly on set Yes. Uh-huh. And smiling. How do you feel about that? Because I, I still get a little confused about that myself. Because it's it's implied that she died, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that all kind of goes in. Like, I do subscribe to the fact that maybe that the events of this movie are what he conjured in order to get over his claustrophobia or something. Also, the claustrophobia in, its, in and of itself is totally vertigo. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it's like the very, very obvious Hitchcock stuff. But no, I, I love that idea of just like... Because this movie is so outlandish and has this dream logic that like, I don't know, I just I don't I don't think it's cut and dry because also we never find out the motives of Greg Henry, Hmm. right? Like there's never a scene where he's like, this is why I killed her. It's because of this, because of this. And usually these movies have those scenes in them. So the fact that De Palma doesn't even bother himself with it because he knows it's not important. Why he killed her is not important because we don't care about him as a character. We care about him as a villain. Mm-hmm. And all that matters is that he shows up in scary makeup with a giant drill because you don't get that kind of closure at the end. Either that or maybe he dies. Maybe this is his dying vision. Like he is at the bottom of this grave. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's definitely either that, but he is dying and envisioning this or that it just never actually happened there's no way that he made it out and was rehired on that movie like it just (laughs) that doesn't seem logical to me at all but as you said like De Palma's just you know he's creating his own narrative and it doesn't need to have bows at the end of everything because it doesn't matter why even Gloria was killed it just matters that we saw it happen and that Jake is invested in this and we're invested in him doing all this stuff. All those other details don't really matter. Yeah. How that would piss people off, but also like details don't matter. Like no. those details, it's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think not to tie back to his other movies again, but if body double pisses you off, there's no way you're going to like Obsession. <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> obsession true. is one where you're like oh even i was like okay well he really went there with this one that's one i don't <laughs> want to reveal the ending i was absolutely obsessed with it he really outdid himself there <laughs> with obsession yeah, truly it's truly. just so good i Again, I don't want to knock anyone's opinions, but I feel like some people are missing out and they need to yes. open their heart to De Palma. Are there any other points of body double that you want to talk about? Actually, there's a scene in the beginning when Jake goes home um, after he has the claustrophobic fit and goes home right mm. before he discovers his wife or girlfriend in, in bed with another guy in a very gratuitous scene, yeah. also, which is hilarious. But um, they have this like really tacky neon heart that says like Jake and Carol in their apartment. And I feel like that gives you everything that you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. What do you, let me ask, what do you think of Craig Wasson in this movie? Craig Wasson, Wasson, I'm not sure, but like he's retired now. He's still mm-hmm. alive. He's retired. He's, he sort of had this like burgeoning film career in the 70s and 80s and then it kind of shifted to tv and then he retired what do you think of him in this movie because everyone i talked to about body double even my wife when i was re-watching this last night she's like that guy is such a punchable face and she's like he looks like he looks like his face was created by ai that's what she said. oh wow so, <laughs> what how do you how do you feel about him this was the first thing i'd ever seen him 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 in i think like, unless I'd seen some of his TV work, but he just seemed very, first I was like, he seems so kind of normal looking and boring-ish for a De Palma movie. But then I realized, I think that's what makes it work because you're not focused on Jake person. You're focused on his motivation and his mind as opposed to him visually. Because I don't really know how old he's supposed to be in this movie. I don't even know how old he was. He kind of has like this older man boy face where i'm like are you 50 or are you like 28 years old like i don't know what your deal is and even when that scene where he sees his his girlfriend sleeping with another man and he meets greg henry at the bar he's like yeah well it was her place so now i need to find somewhere else he just seems so like boyish when he said that like of course i would not have my own place i was staying with my girlfriend's place I was reading something that Roger Ebert liked his performance and really liked that he seemed like kind of like a boring everyman. And I think Pauline Kael hated him. Said it was like the worst <laughs> casting in a De Palma movie ever. And I was like, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's a little I, I'm on the same page as you. I like him for the movie. I think too, he's like such a, yeah, I don't know. He's not your typical De Palma leading man, which is usually someone with a little more charisma, just thinking mm-hmm. of like John Travolta or somebody. But like, he so works for this movie for all the reasons you just said. And I think too, he's a very courageous actor. I don't know if you've seen the movie Ghost Story or A Ghost Story, not the one that with like Rooney Mara, but the one from the 80s. Have you seen that? It's on my, it's literally on my list of looking at it. Before we logged on, I was like, okay, this is, I keep seeing this. I need to watch it. I don't know if it's good or not. Okay. It's, it's absolutely worth watching, Okay, um, but he's in it. Craig Wasson is in it. And without giving anything away in the movie, there's literally a scene where <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. Let's just say he's fully frontal oh. and uh, some, a certain something is flopping in the wind um, <laughs> and it's very limp. And I was like, hey, honestly, props to you for like, you know, that's something a lot of people would be really afraid to do, especially in a non-sexual manner. It's a wild (laughs) movie. You should absolutely watch it. Okay. Now I had to bump it up. be prepared to see him (laughs) full frontal. I, you know what? Thank you for warning me beforehand because I would have been so like shocked and distracted. So now I can fully focus on said scene. <laughs> it's so good. It's great. And like an older Fred Astaire is in it and like Alice. Mm-hmm. Cage. It's, it's good. I mean, it's not like a great movie, but it's That's absolutely fine. worth watching because it's just like kind of a bizarre movie. But um, there's another. Oh, yeah. I want to. <laughs> I want to talk about the scene where he pulls her panties out of the the trash. And then he has them on him when he gets busted by the cop. I just start laughing so hard when the cop pulls the panties out because it's just and he like doesn't have an excuse. Like they're just like, why do you have her panties? It's like because because I do because I took them. She threw them away and I took them out of the trash. It's it's so funny to me. That's I think that's what I like about what the film does is because that could have just been like a scene where he was a creeper took it and then we didn't see those that pair of underwear again but i like that it plays in again in the scene with the detective 
but also the fact that he's just kind of so innocent minded, oddly enough, that he just didn't lie about it. Like he could have yeah, said, Oh, this yeah. is the girl I'm seeing his underwear or whatever. <laughs> he just was like, Oh no, it's the girl who just got murdered. It's yeah. her underwear that's it, in my pocket. <laughs> also, I think my favorite line ever in a Del Palma movie is in this movie. And it's the scene right after the beach scene. And he's in the house and he's calling her. And he literally says, he's like practicing. He's mm. like, I'm the guy who almost fucked you at the beach today. <laughs> like that At that point, like this movie crosses over into such a like absurdist, unbelievable. Like it's just, it's too good to be true. It's fucking, mm-hmm. that is a, fucking great one yeah <laughs> and hearing him say it too it's so good i forgot about that line but now i can see him you know the pacing back and forth and he has like the little antenna phone <laughs> that he's using one quick last thing which just a side note the the house that he's house sitting is insane i heard it's like it's yes. a real house i don't know if it's still there i think it is still there i've never been i've never seen it but it is yeah it's it's still a thing which wow. is very cool this the the locales in this movie because you you lived here for a while you lived in la so you kind of know like mm-hmm. the movie has a good sense of of the city it, yeah i guess one, one of the great la movies and certainly like one of the great hollywood movies have you heard the theory that in this movie uh, that Quentin Tarantino named Reservoir Dogs Reservoir Dogs because of the dogs and the reservoir at the end of this movie because he's a big De Palma fan. Oh, I didn't hear about that. I could see that. I know he is a huge De Palma fan because, of course, he would be a De Palma fan. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, that Because that title doesn't work for that movie at no, all. No, it, was... it has nothing to do with the movie. That's interesting, yeah. actually. Hmm. should yeah. add that to the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have one other story associated with mm-hmm. this movie. So I worked for a producer and I, I remember going into his office one day and he had the the helmet in there from Phantom of the Paradise. And I was like, oh, Phantom of the Paradise. And then he gave me this look like that movie came out before you were born. I'm like, I know, but I love the movie. And so I was in uh, Sundance with him. And I was taking him to a screening and we got to a screening like a little early. So we just parked the car and I'm driving him. We parked the car and we're just sitting and it's nighttime and it's snowing. And I'm like really nervous because I don't I haven't had at this point like a lot of like FaceTime with him like one on one. And so I'm just trying to come up with things to say did not make myself sound totally stupid. And (laughs) I knew he was a big De Palma fan. So I was like, De Palma, huh? And he was like, yeah, 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 De Palma. And then I was like, how about that body double, huh? And then he was like, he looked at me and he was like, that was a weird one. (laughs) 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 So you had the sense this movie is so unloved and I'm waiting for it to just be rediscovered. Like, obviously, people know and love it, but I don't think enough people know and love it. And I think a lot of De Palma fans have slept on it. Or haven't seen it or, you know, like. It's it's weird to me. You know, I have other people that I know who are also De Palma fans, but they don't talk about Body Double as often as they would other films of his, which is fine. Like, you can like whatever you like. But to me, this is like quintessential. Like, I think yeah. this is where you start and then you branch off with De Palma in my mind. Like, I could watch this and every day but i definitely i don't think i had you said it was arrow that released this one or was it indicator no this uh this one indicator yeah okay i need to get that one i i'm actually shocked that criterion hasn't really they only have two of his but criterion needs to up their game they do need to up their game yeah well i think they have three they have sisters blow out sisters yeah Wait, what's the th- uh, sisters blow? Dress to kill. There's an old oh, dress one. to kill. Yeah, that's right. But no, it's it's indicator, and which is weird because they're a British label. So I mm-hmm. I don't know if this has actually been released in North America or not. That's a great release. Yeah, I like the indicator stuff. Indicator has been one of my new favorite. Like I find sometimes I like their stuff even more than Criterion and their covers. Like they did um as a side note to gush about the swimmer they did a box set like a limited yes release which i had to get i was like absolutely that's like your favorite movie right it is it's my yeah. prized possession anytime someone comes over i'm like look at my swimmer box set they're like i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i could care less and i'm like well it means a lot to me so it's such a good movie but if you're ready i'm gonna switch to the the last segment of the show which you've done before do you know as the palma fans we're trying to get people onto De Palma. What film are you recommending they start with? Is it this one? Is it another film? 
I would not say body double just because I think this is like the deep end De Palma. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think his stuff pre Scarface is a little more accessible because it's a little bit more normal. I mean, every De Palma movie is like a, at least a little fucked up. Yeah. But I think like coming off of Scarface, which is such an aggressive movie and a great movie, but this big Hollywood movie that's very aggressive and over the top, he took a lot of that energy into, you know, back to his Hitchcock movies. Mm-hmm. And so this this being the follow-up, it's almost like Dress to Kill on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Like, I like Dress to Kill enough, but I mean, for me, there's like no competition between the two. But so, but I would, I would say, honestly, I think the two that come to mind as the best first to Palma are either Carrie or Blowout. I mm-hmm. think those are sort of the two because... They have, you know, John Travolta, Sissy Spacek, so that's a way in. And also, like, those movies maybe are more, like, narratively satisfying from just, like, a mm-hmm. ABC point of view and don't have this sort of bigger thing going on. Although, I mean, they do. I'm not trying to diminish. Like, I love both of those movies mm-hmm. a lot. But I would I would say it's between those two. I would say Carrier Blowout. What yeah. do you think? I'm always wanting to get people to watch Body Double, but if I don't want to deter someone right off the bat, I think my mind would probably go to Carrie. Then maybe would say go blow out. And then I don't even know if I would go Body Double right away if, or if I would just go, okay, if you can handle Dress to Kill, then you're fully on board now. If you've made it to <laughs> Dress to Kill, so now we're good. We can go Body Double. We can go Obsession. I mean, go from there on. I'm just kind of putting Scarface and Untouchables on their own separate thing because I think everyone, whether they've seen them or not, know what the gist is of those films. So I wouldn't say yeah. you need to watch those before you could go into his other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think Carrie is probably the most. Whether you like horror or not, it's just it's just such a well done film and it's hard not to like this movie. Totally true. And and also it has that Stephen King touch too. Yeah. So it's like a very entertaining, accessible movie. That that also like for my money, like Carrie is still like full on ten out of ten De Palma in mm-hmm. De Palma mode. I think Carrie I not to talk about Carrie too much, but I know that was the movie that he prepped the most out of any film in his career because something about like there was a delay when they were in pre-production. So he had all this extra time that he storyboarded the whole thing, which I know he does for a lot of his stuff, but he like went over them again and again and again and again. So Carrie has like a very, very tight like De Palma. It just feels like kind of De Palma at his peak, although that's also body double. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, Carrie opens up with your shower yeah. scene. So <laughs> I, you know, I get disappointed when there's not a shower scene. I'm like, what happened here? You could have fit it in some way. (laughs) Everyone takes showers, you know. I'm trying to think of a De Palma movie without a shower scene now. Maybe Untouchables? I don't know. Maybe. I'm sure Mission Impossible. I've actually, I've actually never seen Mission Impossible. It's, it's good, but you know, it's not it's good but it's the big hollywood movie you know like Mm -hmm. does it feel a hundred percent like de palma no like Mm -hmm. it's it's just a well-made like tom cruise vehicle and like i'm there for that but also it's not it's not his other stuff it's not even scarface and scarface feels like de palma i mean i definitely will watch it because i want to complete his filmography but it just i just always forget that it's him who made this that's the reason why i haven't gotten around to it but yeah, I think we're in agreement of where to start with the Palma. If you're making a double bill with this movie, whether you're going to put something on first or start with Body Double and what film or films would you pair this with and why? I think it sounds like I'm cheating, but I would show Rear Window first and then Body Double second. <laughs> yeah, you can't end with Rear Window. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No. And no, no, and then a third is just like hardcore porn or something, and then you've yeah. like the full. You've gone from Jimmy Stewart to hardcore porn, and you have the whole journey right there. Yeah, and then you tell people what you did with your night, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. that was a journey that you're on." Yes. <laughs> what about you? I mean, those are great pairings. There, I I thought of Rear Window, I thought of like Peeping Tom, but then I thought of um, there's this film called The Prowler by joseph losey it's a 1951 mm, your fave yep and i was like oh finally i get to although i think maybe the last movie that we did last weekend i also did a joseph losey parody. that's right that's <laughs> the right. serpent so 
Okay, yeah. it's on brand for me. But this one starring Van Heflin and he's spying on a woman. He kind of creeps into her life in a certain way without giving too much away. It's one of the, it might be the last movie that he did before he got blacklisted. So it's one of his last um, Hollywood movies. And it's also written by Dalton Trumbo. So that's before oh, they were cool. both like nixed from Hollywood. <laughs> it's good. I like it a lot. It's underseen. Oh, I see that. Well, that was Body Double. I'm so glad to have you on for this movie because there's no way I would have. I would have done a solo episode on Body Double if no one picked it. <laughs> I would have been like, there's no way I'm not talking about this movie. So thank you so much for your enthusiasm on the film, De Palma, and coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thanks, Felicia. It has been such a great honor to talk to another De Palma obsessed person and especially about Body Double which just does not get it is an unloved film so this has been such a treat thanks for having me on a second time and I love your show thank you Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club it's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney intro music by Lamar Walker and if you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesandmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesandmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode on Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs>